Welcome, welcome to the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie Podcast. This is the podcast where we dissect and analyze the power of storytelling to learn how to harness it to supercharge our everyday lives. I'm Gorf. And I'm Kevin. Hey, Kev, I got a question for you. There's this idea that's super interesting about title cards, I think. Uh, as you know, Kev, I've been, I recently finished Bob Iger's amazing book and I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. And he talks about the importance of title cards in movie production because uh, in different uh, acquisitions, he handled this differently. But when you go to see a film and you see that Marvel scroll, you know the one I'm talking about, right, Kev? Where um, the Marvel sign shows up and there's different superheroes, whatnot. And it's, it's a framing mechanism, you know? Yeah, like, you know, the, the 21st Century Fox thing and with the, the, the iconic theme music as well. Yeah, it's an interesting concept of studios placing content because it's basically a quality check. They're saying, this is our name, this is our brand. Not only do we want credit for the show, but we are telling you this is at our style of quality. A studio's job is often to give something credibility and money is the bigger job, but credibility and money. And it's an interesting commentary. But you know what we are seeing in today's Hollywood, I know Kevin and I, uh, you, me, and our friend Soph, um, we're having a debate on the reboot of Bad Leia and this idea of this reboot culture because studios like making films and entertainment that is a known quality. So what's happening is they're rebooting things that already have a built-in audience or they're rebranding shows or doing the same concepts over and over again. So sometimes when a wild idea comes, they're like, okay, show me how this has already worked before. And this is the problem we're having with Hollywood these days where we're kind of seeing the same things over and over again or an awesome idea comes and then they sand it down so it fits into the historical structure. Yeah, I mean, I think with both Goran and I having very business-related degrees, I think from a business standpoint, this line of thinking probably makes sense, but it's not necessarily always the most, not always the best way to form creative content because as fans as recipients of, of the art we always want new and exciting stuff to come out it's just interesting because you also can think back to some of the most iconic shows like shows like community where it was canceled it did not do well ratings wise but it's it's an iconic and amazing television experience so i mean this is an interesting concept of hollywood and how important it is to find ways to be more creative and that's what our guest today is all about so kev tell us about this week's amazing super kind guest sarah cole yes this week we are talking to sarah cole um she has spent a lot of time in the creative world uh as uh an editor slash writer for a lot of animated uh tvs or films uh, she has worked on this little indie animation film that you, you may have heard called spider-man into the spider-verse um and most recently she has come out uh with another new show called the Stoner cats um if you haven't heard of it it's because it's quite unusual Gorov. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Stoner Cats is? Yeah, Kev, Stoner Cats is this NFT animated series uh, starring powerhouses in Hollywood, including Mila Kunis, Ashton Kutcher, Chris Rock, Jane Fonda, Seth MacFarlane, and other really interesting names. And it's it's a project that Mila Kunis is spearheading 
uh, with the production company Orchard Farm Studios. And it's really interesting, it has a really interesting story, and essentially what it's about is this old woman who has five stray cats and Alzheimer's. And she also is, a, she has a weekly medical marijuana prescription. And what ended up happening was she accidentally hotboxed her five stray t- cats with this experimental strain of weed. And it made the cats sentient. And so now we see these five cats, they're becoming sentient, they have their own personalities. And it's this interesting balance of them taking care of Miss Stoner because she does have medical issues and being this whole family you choose type thing. It's really, while weed is obviously a central plot point, it's a show about family and support. And we get to talk to Sarah a little bit about what an NFT is, NFT storytelling, and a little bit about how this epic show with huge blockbuster size got made through this process. So without further ado, let's talk to Sarah. Today, we are joined by none other than Sarah Cole, uh, who has an amazing story that we'll get into in a bit. I would tell you her story because it's so exciting, but I should leave it up to herself to tell her own story. So Sarah, to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What is your story? Yeah, thanks for having me, you guys. I'm really, really stoked to be here. Um, gosh, a little bit about my story feels like uh, what's my origin story a little bit, but um Basically, I started off um, super nerdy, super in computer programming, realized I'm terrible at coding uh, and was just making fun videos on the side in college, um, editing dumb videos, putting my roommate in a, in a love video with a Velociraptor. Why? Because that's what you do. Um, and doing fun stuff like that. And then my friend was like, why don't you just do that as a career? And I was like, oh, well, I didn't think about that. That was just fun. So I went through a whole series of transferring schools and trying to figure out uh, how to get a film degree. And I ended up with a media studies degree, which at the time was 2008 and media studies meant streaming Netflix kind of, that was the beginning of, it was right after YouTube. So that was like the future of streaming. Then I started off in commercials. I had an internship at a commercial house that opened up a studio here in LA and jumped onto that. They had an animated feature that they were gonna get into. And um, I was like, well, this fits the perfect parts of my brain of having the creative side of it, but having it be completely computer-based. And when I would make a mistake editing, as opposed to coding, I could see where the problem was. So it was a great visual medium for me to use my tech brain, but have a creative connection with that. So after a series of different projects, I bounced around from Paramount to Warner Brothers, ended up at Sony, worked on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and then jumped over to Netflix for a bit. And uh, as what happens is some movies just get shelved. They just, they can them. Um, The one at Paramount got shelved. It was really close and they were just like, nope. So I went back to Sony um, to do the sequel to Spider-Verse. It was a labor of love. And and I simultaneously have been working on stoner casts towards the end on nights and weekends. And in the process ended up quitting Spider-Verse 2 to work on Stoner Cats, which was a big, big deal, big leap of faith for me and, and for my parents. 
so yeah, so that's the, the long and the short of it. Um, not so much specific Stonercast journey, but as far as how Sarah got from St. Louis to Los Angeles and into NFTs, this is this is my saga. Oh, that's great. I love that. Um, Kevin and I both also live in Los Angeles and we both also kind of studied in computer science at UCLA in, in some weird ways. And um, yeah, similar story, hated coding. Not hated, but not, not our favorite good thing. at it. Yeah. It wasn't our favorite things. Um, but we are very techy people. And um, that's what led me to kind of the business side of tech and Kevin in the finance area. And um, that's also what led me into this NFT world. But Kevin's only interactions with NFT has been me talking about it too much. So we get to have both sides of this for this conversation. So I think, I think the first question level set before Kevin asks, what is an NFT? And um, let's keep it there. What is an NFT? Yeah, so, so an NFT is a non-fungible token and a very big buzzword over the past year. Um, and it gets a lot of hate, uh, but I think it's from a lack of education across the board because people don't understand it and it feels too complicated. And as people get older, they're like, I don't want to learn new things. Um, but a non-fungible token is basically using cryptocurrency and the blockchain to authenticate digital assets. So previously, let's say in, in a tangible real world situ situation, you had a, um, a Babe Ruth signed baseball card. And the way that you authenticate that signed baseball card is some sort of agency that their job is to say, this is a certified signature of Babe Ruth. Currently, there's no way to do that prior to NFTs for digital assets. There's no way of integrating a watermark, if you will, or metadata and stopping people from reposting your image all over the world. Now that said, there is the right click save of an image, right? Like the, the JPEG uh, argument, which is fine. I mean, you can make a thousand copies of a, of a Babe Ruth card and scan it and have it looks like it's his signature, but you don't have that certificate that says it's an authentic original signature. So in that way, it's giving artists more um, more sovereignty over their work. It's cutting out a middleman to allow them to make more money and have more creativity. So it sort of breaks down this barrier between big corporate and bringing power back to the artists. You know, that's really interesting because you were talking a little bit about, um, you know, you were working at Spider-Verse 2 uh, simultaneously with Stoner Cat. So that's two very different realms, but at the same time, both, uh, animation plays both uh, with strong casts, both getting a lot of buzz in general. So can you tell me about a little bit of the pros and cons you were seeing immediately while working at both studios and why you ultimately decided to put your time into Sonicats? Yeah, so ultimately it came down to feeling like I want to have a say in, in what I create. Working for a big studio, is is a bit of a security because you're saying okay i know there's a confidence here even if it gets shelved animation uh future animation takes from anywhere from three to nine years um so there's a sense of job security there to say oh i, I feel good and know that i'll have a job for at least a year if it doesn't get shelved to three to nine you know if you're really in on a project so there was a security there for, for being on a feature and a seasoned property that I've lived through before 
and knew the ropes of. So it felt um, comfortable, but also a bit exciting because it's a beautiful property. Like the, the whole thing is stunning. And but ultimately what I was getting at is that I was working for somebody else and I would be doing creative things in service of somebody else's vision that would oftentimes get squashed by a studio because studio has to hit certain um, parameters for their, for their shows. So I felt like I want to make my own thing. And Stoner Cats was, was something just to get in a little bit of a history of Stoner Cats. Stoner Cats was a joke 10 years ago that when Chris Cartagena and Ashburn and my co-creators, um, we were doing it as an outlet. Like, you know, all the, the Disney Easter eggs and in the original movies, that's like, you know, adult humor that's just snuck in there. And what happens is, is when you have a bunch of adults working on kids' films, you sort of lose your mind. So you kind of have to have these moments of break to, to go, like, it's too much kid stuff. I have to break, break the cycle. So for us, we had this joke of what would happen if cats got stoned and, and were sentient, what was that like? And then every time for the past 10 years, we would meet up, we would get lunch, coffee, and we would just add a new thing to stoner cats as a joke. And it wasn't till the end of the first Spider-Verse, literally the last week I was at Sony, I ran into Ash in Los Angeles. He's like, should we just do stoner cats? And I was like, well, it's high time. So we, we got the band back together. And through Ash's manager, we tried to pitch around to several people. And we ended up uh, in front of Orchard Farm Productions, which is Mila Kunis, Lisa Sturbakoff and Cami Curtis. And we pitched them Stoner Cats. And I did, at the time, there was a character who was a Russian character. And I did a Russian accent in front of Mila, which is like high on my bucket list. Um, <laughs> and we ended up just laughing for an hour. And we're like, they get us. Like, they get this type of humor. And so they're like, obviously, we'd love to partner with you. Like, shop around, you know, vet who you want to vet but we'd love to be a part of it and we're like yeah yeah yeah, play it cool play it cool and then we like got out in the parking lot and we're like we're, we're doing we're signing with Mila Lisa and Cami, right and we're like yeah duh um so we were with them and even with the powerhouse that is their production company and they're such smart women and Mila with with her celebrity pull we could not get a yes from any of the studios um it was either they already have talking animals or talking cats or they were afraid of weed content. And we're like, man, it's 2020, 2021 at the time. So we're like, we get it, but also you're missing the mark. There's so much levels to stoner cats as far as the story goes. So it wasn't until uh, April, 2021 that Mila had the idea to do it as an NFT. And we're like, we don't know what that means, but we'll figure it out. And so we deep dived in and then we figured it out and that's when we had the nights and weekends of just me, Ash and Chris having the talent between the three of us making the entire episode, Ash hand drawing every frame and animating every frame um, over the course of six weeks on top of doing the art and figuring out how to do iterable assets for NFT imagery and figuring all that out and then releasing in July leading up to the, the release of of Sonarcast when we decided to do it as an NFT, I made the very difficult decision to leave Spider-Verse and people not totally understanding. They're like, you're doing what for how, what? I don't, I don't get this. 
Um, so I was like, I, get, I just have a feeling maybe it's the media studies degree. Maybe it's the nerd side of my brain, but I just have this feeling that this is going to work. And luckily I was right. That was a, another long-winded saga. <laughs> no, that's that really cool. Amazing I think journey. It's that, that idea of origin stories too, you know, that we've talked a lot about our own personal stories and these pivotal moments that kind of drive us into a certain direction. And so it's, it's always fun to hear like kind of that debate because yeah, it's a big deal. You're choosing between one of the most exciting animation movies coming out in the near future and kind of this new kind of new age technology that could still fail. It's, it's such a fascinating space because, you know, I think it's uh, much more than releasing a television show. It's much more because there's this huge community behind it of people who've like, invested in it. So can you tell us about a little bit about managing that community, working with that community, creating alongside that community as a part of these people who really invested a solid amount into an animated television show into like, what is it right now? 25 minutes that's out so far something like that it feels less like an investment for us and more of a these are people who want to decide what they want to watch mm -hmm. and there's the fear of shows getting canceled arbitrarily off ratings that don't matter like everyone's favorite show gets canceled this for us felt like a way to change the structure of hollywood to say you want to watch a show tell us what you want to watch. And if something doesn't get funded, then that's not what people want. Um, and to that point, you know, we come up with a premise, but you know, the promise of a premise, but whether we can deliver on it is another story. So for us, it's been really important to listen to that community and what they want and what they are responding to. In the feature film world for animation, we would do something called audience preview screenings where at a certain point in the film, when it wasn't finished, it was still in animatic and storyboards and not fully fleshed out and not in color. And we would go to a, um, a flyover state. I say that because I'm from Missouri. We would go to a flyover state and, and get a sample group of an audience to react to what the movie was at that, at that point in time. And based on that reaction and that feedback, we would shape the movie and start from scratch or make changes um, and push the movie forward based on how people are, are reacting. So in, in the NFT space, what's been really great is it is a 24 seven audience preview screening. The discord is full of people digging into the story. There are people freeze framing, stepping through every single frame, playing at half speed. So there's some things that we can do that's like Easter eggs and fan service that's really important to us. Um, but moreover, their direct feedback is what's shaping the show. We're taking it in a direction that we wouldn't have ever necessarily taken it because it's hit this sort of nerd direction, which I'm a thousand percent here for, um, that we, we really want to lean into. But also fundamentally, the story is about Ms. Stoner and her five adopted cats, which is her little family. And she has Alzheimer's and her Alzheimer's is progressing. And as the cats become sentient through a, a series of mishaps of Ms. Stoner's mysterious uh, medical marijuana getting spilled into the fireplace and hotboxing the cats and making them sentient, they now have this newfound sentience and have to decide, is it the ego or the id and the how to 
take care of their owner and make sure she's okay but also this they have this new autonomy and they want to pursue their own ventures but ultimately coming back to the core of it which is family it's the family of cats the family of miss stoner so there's a really deep heart to, to stoner cats that you wouldn't think of at the log line stoner cats um it sounds like a silly stoner trope but it's it's really deeper than that and so we want to make sure we tell that story i want to honor my mom's legacy and try to connect with people who who have suffered through you know loved ones with alzheimer's and reaching out to those people and a portion of our proceeds went to alzheimer's association which was voted on directly by our members on which charity to donate to so there's a lot of stuff we really want to do that we wouldn't get to do in the traditional hollywood format so it's it's been really rewarding and really incredible to see all these people react and respond and feel like they're a part of something bigger and that's what we want that's fascinating i think with every fan of a show at some point you probably felt like you know you, you wished that the show would have gone this way but with this new form of storytelling that's more community driven you actually get to contribute more kind of directly to you know how you want the story to go in a way but uh, i wonder what what that's like for for you though as the the storyteller of the show in that sense would there be a concern over you know it's the minority of the group that's more vocal that's going to dictate how the story goes versus uh, if with the, the audience pre-screaming in the traditional format, you're kind of random sampling more that can potentially give you exposure to you know a wider range of perspectives. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, in that very specific way of it's choosing a, a Midwest audience or a, a non LA based so that you don't have people who are in the business and sort of feels like a, a bias. Um, you are by that very fact, getting a very specific feedback that is more for a studio's purpose than it is necessarily a content purpose, because really what it's about is studios succeeding and making money. And listen, during the pandemic, Nobody was going to the theater. The studios took a huge hit. So I have a lot of um, dislike for reboots and, and sequels and, and that. But I also understand from the studio standpoint of those are surefire moneymakers for them. That is an audience they can capitalize on. That's an audience they know. And hopefully they can onboard a younger generation. But for them, that's a safety net. And Animated films generally are a surefire moneymaker for the most part um, because they are the four quadrant film of they're hitting all the target demographics. They're getting parents, they're getting kids, they're getting young adults, they're getting, you know, and all the, that thing. And so they have to hit all those boxes. And so those audiences that they sample are directly correlated to those audiences that the studios are trying to, to hit. Whereas we're coming at it purely from a content standpoint of here's our story. Here's what we want to show you and create. And if you vibe with that, then you're our people. And that's who we want to connect with. So it is very much a, a smaller group. And even within our, um, our group, we have a very small vocal 
group that's I would say that these are our OGs and then there's the broader people who are tangentially around and they're interested um, there's also people of course who treat it just like an NFT and there's a buzz to it so they think it's a, it's a financial thing and we're like we're not about that life we're purely here for storytelling and content and creating so it's um it's a more succinct and direct relationship than a big studio trying to to hit a bottom dollar. You know, that's really interesting. I think, you know, with the NFT space as well, uh, that's one of the biggest kind of pieces of advice I give to people when they ask me about NFTs because I'm like the one person they know that's in NFTs. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but sure. Um, my response has always been one, take it really slow. I feel like there's a lot of hype that happens in these communities and these discords and Twitter. Take your time and only invest in things you love or invest is also a terrible word, but only buy things you love because there's a good chance it's going to go to zero. So you might as well enjoy it. <laughs> no, that's super important to taking your time. At, I hate saying do your own research, but also simultaneously the, the community is so supportive and open to onboard people and educate people. So asking anyone in the community about how things work is, has been invaluable to me. And I've learned so much by connecting through people who are imparting what they've learned. Um, and then this is the scary part. I think that scares people is there's the idea of a rug pull, which is basically a project that has all the markings of being successful and hyped up and people FOMO into it. They buy into it thinking, oh, this is the next crypto punks. This is the next big thing. And then the mint happens, the NFTs drop, people buy in, and then the project disappears. So now you have these JPEGs that you cannot flip and cannot like recoup on that cost that you've lost. And so there's a lot of risk in that. And then by the very nature of cryptocurrency, there is no FDIC. There is no, you call the cops because someone stole your your seed phrase and they drained your entire crypto wallet. Like it's a very risk averse thing. And I think that's what keeps a lot of people away from the NFT in the crypto space. And I think through education and simplifying, and maybe that's the PR of everyone trying to onboard people safely. Um, and maybe that's the tech then also catching up to making it more user-friendly because right now it feels very convoluted. Yeah, for sure. And there's, there's a lot of weight in that for these kind of these bigger NFT projects, like the one you're involved in, and some of the ones that are more kind of related to more professional things where you kind of have to make sure you're the gold standard. You have to make sure you're onboarding people because if you are, if a lot of people are onboarded and the, the work pulled out, you're going to lose a lot of people. And right now at the NFT space, it's still such an uphill battle. So kind of talking about that, like legitimizing it aspect, you know, you are now seeing a lot of studios dipping their feet in, looking in. I know Disney just promoted um, a new, I think it's senior vice president. I have it written down. Senior Vice President of for Next Generation Storytelling and Consumer Experiences, which is their Metaverse executive. Um, I know Fox is doing Crapopolis with Dan Hyman. So we are seeing all these studios get involved now. Um, I, I would love to hear your take on this. Is there any fear about that, like of them being very merchandising about it? Or do you think this is going to be the way that NFTs become more mainstream? That's a really good question. And it's a constant debate of how do you tell what is a cash grab and, and what is a, 
a farce and just a PR stunt and what's authentic. We had so many people after we came out that said it's a celebrity cash grab. And we had to work really hard to fight that narrative to say, no, no, it's not celebrities getting in and trying to, to cash grab. In fact, most of our actors had no idea and we had to set them up with a crypto wallet. Like it just, that wasn't them trying to get in on some hot new thing. They believed in Stoner Cats. They didn't understand the NFT of it, but they were on it before it was an NFT. Like they were into it before that happened. And I mean, Jane was on from, from the beginning. She was, we were going out with the pilot script. So it was never about a, a cash grab or a PR stunt. This was just the way that Hollywood uses their actors to be the face. I mean, that's why there's press junkets. When the movies are coming out, you don't watch the writers or the editors go to all these press junkets because the general public doesn't connect with that. They connect with the face, which is the talent. So we had a really hard time with that, but there's a lot of stuff that's coming in that they know, oh God, this is the new direction and we better get on or we're irrelevant. And so trying to figure out who's authentic and who's not is very challenging. And I don't know the, the total answer to that. Um, I think it's better for brands, personal opinion, better for brands and studios to partner with people who are established in the space, get people on board who can guide them through instead of being so headstrong to say, we know what we're doing. We're just going to rake in all the profits and do it ourselves. And I think people will sniff that out as fraud and they will not be interested because part of the beauty of this is it's decentralized. There is not one monopoly over something. It's a democracy and people are voting with their crypto wallets. So there's stuff like Reese Witherspoon has been deeply into this space and she's been super supportive of so many female-led projects. They just announced in Variety yesterday that Hello Sunshine, which is her company, is going to start working in a venture with World of Women NFT to create content for TV and film. So that's a huge deal. And she's been deeply into the space. It's not if she was just like, oh, I know where this is going, PR move, it's a stunt. She's been in all the Twitter spaces. She's been doing her research and she's trying to lift up women specifically, but also using NFTs to, to give that power back to creators instead of the studio model. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, with the NFT market space being so brand new, it, it has uh, kind of been uh, already a, a pretty male dominated space in general. Uh, so it's nice to hear that there are initiatives to, to uplift women in this space. And as for, you know, you and Stoner Cat, what does it mean to you to be a part of this, you know, blue chip female led project in the NFT space? Yeah, no, I think it's really important um, because here's what's fascinating. It's a more male dominated space as with, uh, in my mind, I thought it was, oh, it's because it's a, it's a tech front, right? It's that STEM that's not women based. And that's where we translate from computer programming and, and all the tech spaces that are less women. And that feels from a, a lack of um, encouragement. And that's changing, which is fantastic. But in the NFT space, I just assumed that's what it was. But I was talking to, to Maria and Morgan and their takeaway was the gender pay gap 
between men and women means that the amount of uh, liquidity that women would need to quote unquote play in the NFT space and have that sort of um, flexible income to spend on NFTs happens much later. And the most fascinating part about that to me is our Instagram audience is mostly women, but the age range is much older. So we're seeing these women who are in the NFT space, but it's taking them longer to earn that financial equity to operate in the space, which just blew my mind that there was like a direct, like I'm a science brain. So I'm like, aha, metrics, that's like direct correlation to it. So it's really cool to kind of encourage women to get in the space and younger too. There's, there's Nyla with the long necky ladies um, and she's 13 and she's just crushing it. And she wouldn't be able to do that as an artist in, in the, you know, web two space. So I think it's opening a lot of doors for people. And if I can help lift other women up, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. If we can do that and, and lift all these marginalized communities, not just women, but LGBTQIA, marginalized communities need a voice. And I think this also offers a space for them as well. That's such an interesting standpoint with the pay gap. I did not know that. I, like you assumed is because of uh, incentives and how the crypto space works and how uh, crypto to NFT. And so, but that's such an interesting kind of narrative. Indeed. And, and I think so much of our conversation today has to do with, uh, you know, the, the future NFT being this really new concept is, you know, exciting to, to see how it can impact so many things going forward. Um, and along that line, I wonder, how have you seen it impacting your career? We've obviously talked about it a little bit, but how has it changed your, you know, storytelling style, if at all? And can you see yourself go back to, you know, the, the regular animation again? What's yeah. your future look like? Yeah. <laughs> mm, let me get my magic eight ball and shake. Outlook looks good. Um is I, th I think for me, this was, I keep telling everyone, my entire career and education and really my life has built up to this moment. This is the perfect avenue for me to create. I mean, you want to talk about tech brain, like getting into crypto. Like I early adopted crypto in 2016. Again, not near enough as I, as I wish I had, but don't look back. Um, and and this is the perfect fusion of, of tech and creative and autonomy. Um, that just is a level of freedom that I, I would never have experienced had I not taken that leap. Um, and I like the idea of future projects, you know, with Orchard Farm, you know, there's a bunch more projects. If you have an original Stoner Cat, you have access to all projects in perpetuity that are the release under this banner. So it's not just stoner cats. So the idea that people have this, um, you know, new streaming platform, if they want it in a way where you can pick your shows instead of being shoved like 4,000 things on your Netflix queue going, I have no idea what to watch tonight. Um, you can be more selective with what you want to watch and engage in. And if I can be on that side of it and provide content that feels like it connects with people that's huge. Now, that said, I have a hope that at least in the interim, because Netflix and streaming, none of that's going away and none of the cable, like the Comedy Central, that's all staying here. 
for now. Um, so I see a world where what if we create this season, we create this show and we are successful, wouldn't streaming platforms want to capitalize on bringing those shows that have been vetted in front of an audience to their platform, right? Like that's the whole thing of finding content that connects with people. And if you have a built-in audience, that seems like a no-brainer to me. And the trick I think is if you went straight to old Hollywood and tried to make your show and it got muddled and it got changed and it's not what you wanted, that's one thing. But I'm hoping there's a world where people create how they want to create, what they want to create in the NFT space. And then the studios recognize that and let people come back to them, host their show or their film and not mess with the creators. Like we can have the credibility of saying, look what we did. If you want to repeat these results, let us do what we do and don't get in the way. So that's, the, that's my hope for the change of the future of, of Hollywood is whether they onboard into this space or we go back the other direction, maybe that's a more creator friendly experience for people. I like that. I love that kind of openness and futuristic. I love that. Uh, and there's a lot of people who are kind of NFT purists that kind of don't want anything to interact and anything to touch. But I, I definitely believe it's about bringing in these bigger studios. It's about bringing people together. And that's where the real legitimization will come. To close out every one of our episodes, we have this segment called Suspenders. It works like this. We ask you a fun, random question that's unrelated to anything. And you can give us any fun, random answer you feel like. I want to preface before he asks this, that this was random. Yeah. Um, was completely <laughs> Pull out of a hat or? Yeah, yeah we, we have this like random question generator. So this was completely like uncoordinated, pure coincidence that we're asking this question of all the questions in the world. So Who's here it goes. Let's go. If you could talk to animals and they would understand you, <laughs> but you couldn't understand them, what would you do with that power? Oh, man, that is a good random gen. Um, I mean, that just feels like as a pet owner, you could save yourself a lot of trouble. I know that's a lame answer and I'm a very logical person. And um, like people were like, oh, you made you made money. and." What are you gonna, what's your crazy purchase? And I was like, I bought a Dyson. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but I, I feel like then you could be, you could let your pets know not to like pee on the carpet, not to like do the bad pet behavior things. Um, does it, uh, let me ask you this, this is an expand. This, my friend and I play a game called What If? And then we just come up with random scenarios and like, Okay, but what are the rules? Like, how far does this go? So in this scenario, follow-up question, they can't talk back to me, I can talk to them. Do they listen inherently or do they have the free will to disregard what I say? I would say they still have free will. I, I don't okay. think it's like you're mesmerizing them and making them do things. I think they still have free will. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. That's, I mean, they have free will as it is. They should retain that free will. But in the fun fantasy dream question world, yeah, I guess. I don't know. What else could you possibly use? I was trying to think of something more fantasy based. 
Because if I'm like, hey, don't chew my furniture, please, rabbits. I would appreciate it if you didn't do that. I have two rabbits. Um, Tickles and Chief Inspector Hops. Um, but if they don't listen, then it's pretty much the same dynamic I already have <laughs> with them. That's not changed. But now you know. Now you know they understand. You now I know they understand. And dicks. they're actively choosing to ignore me. And I was yeah. like, that tracks. That's mm. Now I know. Now I can sleep at night knowing that it's not wasted wasted breath. Oh, that was great. Welcome to Top Hat. This is the part of the episode where we dissect and analyze some of the key lessons we got from this week's Expert Storyteller. And this week, our Expert Storyteller was Sarah Cole, editor, animator, co-creator extraordinaire. And you know, let's jump right into it. I think one of the key learnings that I got from this conversation was talking a lot about the future of entertainment and how NFTs can play a really key role in that. I think something you often see is you see NFT purists or uh, loud voices who are like, no, 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 NFTs are the future. They're the only thing. Studios are gone, right? But I think what Sarah was saying made so much sense about this concept of working together, how different stories work better for studios and different stories work better for indie NFT and things like that. Um, storytelling is so diverse and complicated. And, and we know, Kevin, we've talked a lot about companies' unique storytelling styles and how different stories work differently for different, you know, bring it back to the intro, different title cards. So I think this, this teamwork aspect is really important. Understanding that these two modes of studio-based storytelling and NFT-based storytelling Finding a way for them to connect in an authentic way, whatever that means, studio executives really listening to the real NFT community to hear, okay, how are you doing that? Instead of saying, we're smart, let's do it ourselves. And the NFT community being open to studios coming in, putting in real money and finding a way just to tell better stories in their unique styles. So I think that's a really exciting future where everyone's listening to each other and finding ways to tell unique stories. Yeah, and speaking of the differences between conventional studios versus uh, NFT storytelling, we also talked about the community-driven aspect uh, of SonarCast storytelling that is really you know unique and interesting. With traditional shows and films, the studios have to select a sample pre-screening audience that they will have to bring in, show them what they got, and collect feedback uh, from this selected very small group of audience. But with the NFT uh, show format, you, you can get feedback that is a lot more instantaneous directly from your audience uh, because they're constantly talking about the show on Discord. Um, but of course, with that comes the vocal minority problem because you know it's always going to be a smaller group of people that are w more willing to spend time talking about the show and uh, give feedback but in this case they're going to have more of an impact a more direct impact on uh, how the show is going to go so that is an another thing that the storytellers will have to take into consideration uh, under the nft format yeah, and you know, Kevin, that brings up such an interesting, you know, something I struggle with the NFT space is this idea of echo chambers, this idea of going into a Discord or Twitter, you often hear the loudest voices first, the one with the most followers, the ones that are con more con controversial, especially in this new 
age time when we're building the foundations of what an NFT can be. And it brings up something I had no idea was I knew that the NFT space was a male dominant space. And it was really great to hear about Sona Cats, which is a female driven product and hear about Sarah's perspective on that. But the gender pay gap was something that I didn't uh, realize had was one of the driving factors into NFTs being a male dominant space. This brings up how important, again, representation and minorities and genders are in these new spaces. So we build the foundations correctly. This has been another great episode of the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a comment rating to tell us what you're thinking. Follow us on Instagram at LSBTPod and on LinkedIn, Linen Suit and Plastic Tie. Thanks, everyone. See you soon.